We all have dreams. Some people seem to live theirs while others seem to struggle. This is, however, merely a perception. What if you could get the answers you needed to execute on your dreams? Welcome to the Platinum Mask Podcast, a show designed to ask various young professionals just how they deal with their specific ups and downs. How does one young upstart navigate competing with name brand companies? Where do we get the best tools? How do we grow from our stress and anxiety? Most importantly, how do we properly utilize our cash flow? The Platinum Mask Podcast with your host, Grayson Mask. We wanted answers, so we're going out to get them and sharing them with you. Let's get right into today's episode. Hello to everyone listening to That Planet Mask. I am Grayson Mask. I have with me Louis McLean of Melanin Origins. And this was um, really a conversation I wanted to have um, recently. You know, saw some of his features on a few different blogs. And really with this organization, it was an idea that I wanted to talk about because uh, I've really remembered seeing some of the books that they offered and kind of know from my previous experience and just elementary, middle school, high school, college, there was a lot of historical figures that really they feature in their books that I, you know, never knew about growing up. And I can imagine that they're kind of important characters. So I wanted to thank you again, Louie, for coming on this episode and really shedding light on, you know, some of these historical figures that, you know, possibly don't get enough representation in, you know, our school systems. Well, I'm very glad and privileged to be here on this podcast with you. Yeah, definitely, man. Well, I guess, um, you know, if you wanted to do kind of give a quick snippet on, you know, what Melanin Origins does and, you know, what kind of um, books do you offer to school programs? Okay, yes. Melanin Origins, we are a global publishing firm. We specialize in children's children's books about historical pioneers. So we started with our uh, Black History series. We have a 10-book series of Black History pioneers, leaders, innovators, such as Booker T. Washington, such as Ida B. Wells, such as W.E.B. Du Bois. Um, we take our children, we, uh, we take our leaders, <laughs> we transform them into children so they can be relatable to the child audience. And then they tell their stories, uh, getting uh, ch- children in, encouraged and inspired about learning about history and believing within believing in their own selves. Our mission is to provide quality education materials which inspire young minds to aspire for excellence while embracing their heritage. And really that's, I can imagine that's, you know, a huge mission to kind of dive into. And I wanted to, I guess, kind of get to the beginnings of, you know, how your, I guess your childhood kind of helped out with the mission and, you know, what kind of got you interested and shining light on some of these historical figures. So um, did you grow up in the DFW area? Yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm from Arlington, born at Arlington Memorial, uh, born and raised in Arlington. I grew up here my whole life. I actually graduated in Delaware, and then I eventually I went to Pensacola Christian College in Florida. Um, but my childhood, I, I so, so, Interesting thing is that Arlington is the second most diverse uh, city in the state of Texas, all right? And that's second to Houston, which Houston is actually the most diverse city in the United States, right? So, so growing up in Arlington, I didn't have a, major, a, a huge racial complex. I, I, I don't recall having racial incidents or anything like that growing up. Um, but it wasn't until I moved to Delaware to where I took um, electives in high school to where I started learning more about uh, Malcolm X and learning about, uh, you know, the role of the nation in Islam in the 60s. Then I went to college and uh, studied criminal justice. And it wasn't until after I graduated college that I started noticing um, disparities in the world. Um, and that is actually what piqued my, my story is a very interesting one. <laughs> I, I, I did not start off um, wanting to uh, champion black history causes. I did not start off wanting to um, educate children about anything. I started off uh, wanting to make a difference in the life of troubled youth. 
So criminal justice uh, was it was my major. I worked in the juvenile justice field for over uh, seven years. Um, it, it, Melanin Origins is a byproduct of the different experiences and different observations that I've I, I've had in life, simply to show that there's so much power in seeing someone who looks like you represented in a book. Mm-hmm. All right, there, there's so much power, and the fact that I did not know about some of the people that I wrote about until until I was 25 years old. Right, we, we spoke a little bit about this. Um, before the show, I didn't know about that. What if children knew about these things when they're four, five, six years old, growing up with a strong, healthy psyche, a, a strong psyche that 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 points them to greatness, that people who look like them are doing great things all around the world. They have been doing it for centuries, um, instead of typically what they see on TV or here on the radio or, you know, even if they're in, you know, an, an impoverished neighborhood, what they might see in their living environment. What if we had the opportunity to, sh- to give them visual representation, all right, and, and provide teachers with this, the tools to, to give it to them? So mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a part of the story. <laughs> yeah. No, so you kind of mentioned um, really with college uh, being such an eye-opener for you, and, you know, you're kind of returning the favor with offering some of these historical figures on, you know, into younger generations. It Really, with all of the kind of historical figures you've covered in the program, is there maybe a number one spot or one that comes to mind that, you know, you think is just criminal, that, you know, it's not discussed enough, um, you know, whether it's Marcus Garvey or another character? <laughs> Well, okay, let's talk about our, our first series because that's 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 very hard because Marcus <laughs> Garvey is the way how society is played today is is pretty much in between um, two two um, schools of thought, and so I, let me take a step back and talk about how we how we laid our foundation for our first series. Okay, <clears throat> our first series was on Booker T. Washington, who had a a school of thought that said the best way for progress for black Americans is um, uh, self-determination. We can work among ourselves, we can get vocational training, and we can build among ourselves, and we can do that. Then we have uh, W.B. Du Bois, who was a co-founder of the NAACP, who says, well, the best way for progress is that we demand our rights and our voting rights and equality now. And we go into higher institutions and we, you know, we just, everything full on integration. All right. Now, Marcus Garvey, he said, (laughs) Marcus Garvey says, well, okay, so Marcus Garvey is actually from Jamaica. Okay. Mm -hmm. He was born in Jamaica and he was an apprentice to a printing press. And so he traveled through the Caribbean, through Central America, and what he documented what he seen. And what he saw was that um, people that were pretty much of African descent were mainly the ones working, doing most of the labor, mm-hmm. right, um, and not yet not enjoying the fruits of their labor. And so he noticed that, like, everywhere that he traveled to, and he noticed that in America, too. And so that was where he championed his message of Africa for the Africans, which is... <laughs> Hey, okay. There are ta- we're skilled, we're talented, um, we're very well equipped, you know, to actually just pick up and go back over there and then build that, so we can actually enjoy the fruits of our labor and not have to deal with what we deal with on this side of the world. And so that was his his school of thought. And you said if, if it's criminal, <laughs> you know what? I think I think it is. Okay, so, so criminal is strong, but, you know, I think it, it's a shame that we're not able to at least learn about these three avenues, right? These three avenues. Like, right now it's mainly get a job and, you know, get some rent and maybe pay a mortgage, you know, and, you know, you know just work in somebody else's company, and hopefully that's what's going to, you know, that's going to work out for you, right? Um, but 
what about creating your own business? What about doing for yourself? What what about you know having a community that practice cooperative economics? That's more so Booker T. Washington. Mm-hmm. But then what about what Marcus Garvey said, who says, look, we have a very strong identity. We have a lot of crafts and skills, and we have a, actually a homeland that we can go back and we can we can thrive in. It's just a school of thought. Um, and so having planting these seeds in the child's mind, I think whenever you choose not to do so, whenever you just limit them, I think then that's that's whenever things when that when things become a problem. Mm-hmm. Problematic. <laughs> yeah. And is there I guess any with the different crowds that kind of form around those three different schools of thoughts that you kind of mentioned, is there any I guess ever hostility or differences between, you know, the self-determination versus the crowd that wants, you know, systemic like change or changes to kind of the root issues, you know, within our society? Yes, yes. That, so that that plays out. It plays out each decade in, in different <laughs> major cities, you know, uh, across time, because over 100 years ago, it was um, literally Booker T. Washington and Du Bois had problems about this. Like Du Bois wrote a book and put his <laughs> Booker T.'s name in it, and they had like a nationwide. Here it is. We have one common goal, freedom, liberty, equality, all that, right, togetherness. And, but two, two leaders are butting heads and kind of splitting and dividing things. You know, that we see that again sort of with uh, Dr. King and Malcolm X. Okay, so uh, two leaders, right, they didn't really butt heads like that, but you can see the clashing schools of thought. There are many people within the community who, you know, just don't want, they really don't care about um, college, and they will call things like that bourgeoisie or, you know, something to that extent. Um, And there are some that would rather focus on their trades and their community and uh, now crypto and stocks and all that is great now. So that's cool too. So we have more options. That's great. And then we have people who don't even want to actually identify with Africa at all. And so clearly there's a lot, it's almost like denominations within religions, you know. So there's just a whole lot of schism there. And, um, but when it comes, the thing that I appreciate the most about my journey and what we're putting out with Melanin Origins is that the greatest illusion is separation. Mm. You know, the greatest illusion is separation. And uh, there's nothing wrong with me being of a group who says, hey, well, yeah, w- I'm going to focus on, you know, vocational schools and trades, and this is how we're going to grow this community. And, well, you know what? I'll give the best example, taking it back to Booker T and uh, Du Bois. <clears throat> Booker T was saying that we pr- we shouldn't really advocate strongly for voting rights in the South because we have some mobs right here that are doing violence to us all the time, right? So if that's like that's agitating. So we're you know, and so clearly there's going to pe- be people who don't have that experience in the North or who may be more militant, who would say, no, you're crazy, we need to do what we need to do, blase, blase. And so holding a Booker T stance is very hard, and he was, you know, chastised by many in, in, in the race. Um, but then when you look at the college system, you know, and when you look at the economy, and you look at uh, the way how wealth, you know, has con- has pretty much remained the same as how it's divided, and you know, you, you begin to try to look for different solutions. And so it's all about having the conversation and being open to, you know, just seeing it, it all as, as one, you know. Mm-hmm. We don't have to have the same exact, mo- um, what's the word? We don't have to be a part of the same group or plan for, for, for progress so long as we, you know, can move to, forward together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I, I kind of like how you mention, you know, the greatest illusion is separation. And it seems like that illusion has been growing, you know, yes. um, more and more. Because I know you've mentioned an article where you kind of said, I, I think it was the past decade, um, you know, was kind of the worst as far as um, r- racial issues and discrepancies. And I kind of want to ask on, you know, what 
um, you know, politically or systemically that possibly led to that? And, you know, are you possibly optimistic moving forward? Do you possibly think it's going to get worse? Um, you know, what's your thoughts <laughs> on that? Well, so I'll start off by saying I am optimistic. I think by nature I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> but through the information that I've gathered and obtained, um, I definitely am optimistic. Like, I'm, I'm very glad that the illusion of separation, I, I learned about that from a... a, 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 a <laughs> I learned about that from a cartoon series called Avatar The Last Airbender. I don't know if you're familiar with that show. You know, that's what the guru told the Aang. The greatest illusion is separation. But mm. that we come to see that that's that's what Maya means. And so that that concept is in, you know, Hinduism is cross cultures. And that's really the main thing um, for it all. Now, my story is unique because the past 10 years that I can mainly speak on the political side. Right. I can speak from a political standpoint because I went to college in 2004, and when I went to college, I went to a predominantly um, white co college, and it was a conservative Christian school. And even though you know we're not supposed to do much as far as you know going to vote for Bush and say, say things about it. You know, there was a bunch of Confederate flags, a bunch of Republican stuff, and a bunch of this is what we're doing, it's how we're voting. Now, at that time, I was like, hey, these guys are from different places in the South. I really didn't look, wasn't looking at the Confederate flag like that. I didn't know anything about politics, nothing. I bring that up because I graduated pretty much in 2008, and what's happening in 2008? You know, President Barack Obama's now becoming president. Well, you know, he's got elected to be president. Now, I studied criminal justice. Uh, all of my professors except two were ex-police officers. All of my uh, colleagues, my classmates, 80% uh, of them went on to be police officers. So all of my friends growing up, uh, you know, in college, my experience learning about how we're going to go out there and make a difference and do our job, you know, majority of them are Caucasian and they're going to be police officers. So I have a very great love and respect for that. You know, so I'm just giving you more background now, okay? So think about that. I'm at a Christian college. I got saved. I was going the wrong way. Like, I was going the wrong way as a kid, okay? I made a 180, got saved. I used to go downtown and do all this stuff, you know, trying to bring people to Jesus and all that. But I get saved. I'm with this group of people where, you know, going to champion criminal justice in the world, you know, Barack Obama becomes president, you know, now I'm seeing majority of people at my school, <laughs> now I'm hearing all this racist stuff. I'm like, whoa, where did this come from? You know, like, I don't, I, I don't, I didn't think that you were capable of doing that, saying that. I don't understand how this behavior, like, did you forget that I was your friend? Like, you know, um, but just, I'm talking about with the blatant racism, not even talking about what they might think about as policies or anything, just the outright ignorance. You know, 2012, what happens? Uh, there's um, the tragic death of Trayvon Martin, right? So that's happening. And the thing about that is that if he, well, let's not even dive into that. The thing about that is that it, 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 touches, it touches me because I can identify with being a young kid just going to the, trying to go to the store and then possibly trying to be followed and then trying, thinking about having to fight for my life with someone who's, who's older, you know. Um, I mean, all of that stuff. And so to hear the racial things against him, calling him a thug and all that stuff, you know, okay. Then there was f what happened in Ferguson. And I'll, I can go on and on about the different things that happened, but the thing that happened in Ferguson, that, that touched me in a way uh, as far as uh, my classmates because now I'm seeing my classmates posting uh, pictures of Planet of the Apes, and I'm seeing all this crazy, and so, and so, definitely, on a in a political way, right? Definitely, I can't say what the media is putting out there. It's it's just the I see it's been on a very far decline. And if we, if if as a country we stand for high values. Right. We want to be objective and we want to we want to say that we're objective. Right. But we always make money the objective in a lot of cases. Right. So if we say that we stand for 
high values and character and all these things, then, you know, I, I can't really dive into this conversation because I don't want to polarize the audience, but, you know, it's uh, the election in 2016, you know, we see the effects of that. <laughs> we see the effects of that. And so it created an even worse decline. So all of that stuff was political, and that's without, without that's with me not even being a political <laughs> science major, you know what I mean, a guy who's in that, that, that field, um, but I am optimistic, man. I'm optimistic because I, I see it. I see that on the right, on the left, on this extreme, on that extreme, however you, whichever spectrum you're looking at, I see that the most dominant, powerful people on either side are usually the ones who are, um, have some message of separation. Right. They might talk about some unity. They might talk about how it would be good if we could get along. But then they're always going to point the finger and they're always going to stir their crowd up by digging into that type of thing. And that is what the country has to move past, that we have to move past the veil of separation. And so Melanin Origins, I'm, I'm hopeful because I'm in contact with people like you. I, I believe in the law of attraction, okay? Like, mm -hmm. I, you know, the Dallas Voice put it out there. I wrote the things. I experienced the things. Now we're sitting here talking because we're kindred spirits, I believe, right? And so I, I believe that there are many kindred spirits out there, and it's just a, 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 it's a matter of connecting with them and uh, moving the needle forward because we're, we're here to to make a difference in the world. It's going to take one podcast at a time, communicating one individual at a time. Mm -hmm. So you kind of, uh, I mean, you mentioned some of, I can imagine, traumatic situations on some of your schoolmates posting, you know, very racist and um, really messages and photos, uh, really with the election, 2012 election. And I wanted to ask, you know, do you think social media on, you know, how much that plays into possible, you know, conflicting racial issues and polarization? Because I don't know if you saw, I think it was last year with the uh, the the school, the high school students in Southlake hmm. um, on TikTok and the huge issue there where they post a very, race, uh, a very racist viral video that blew up on um, specifically, you know, pointed towards black males. And um, I, I think some of their classmates, you know, came out and said, you know, they've never said like that, any stuff like that in person. Uh, so this just came out of nowhere that they would make a video like that. Um, you know, do you play, do you think maybe social media has like something to do with it? Social media definitely has something to do with it. Um, Throughout the years, different forms of technology has been demonized. So, you know, I can't just go that route. That uh, they have people uh, trying to make what, what, what they're trying to make AI more friendly now, or something like that. So, you know, they, which is another way, another money grab. But the thing is, I think social media definitely plays a role because of algorithms. If if I get on one of my social media platforms and I type in a certain type of thing, then the algorithm, the algorithm is going to send me like, like videos, like posts, similar posts along that, that vein. And not only that, but people who want to advertise to my demographic, they can make sure that I see certain things. <laughs> They can make sure that I see some things. And then if I happen to watch it long enough, I'm going to see similar things like that. Now, imagine if someone has uh, malicious intent on you. What if someone has malicious intent on you? Now, okay, again, objective, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> objective. If our objective is to, to make money right now, okay, well, then I'm going to send this person certain kind of messages that's going to, you know, lead them to, to, that, to, to give me m money. And that's kind of what happens, whether that's specifically for a sale straight up or that's for the, you to lean, you know, in a political direction. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of disinformation things that happen like that, too. So most definitely, these, these kids, you know, were... Okay, and that goes back to my company, man. 
it goes back to my company because if you're on social media and you're a kid, you're going to spend a lot of time there and you're going to see a whole bunch of things that maybe look fun or that it's, it's going to have you believe in that this is the way to be. This, this is fun. I need to go find myself doing that. It is, there's a visual effect. Uh, I don't want to get into it. Yeah, there's, social media has a lot to do with it. Let's, let's just leave it there. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, really outside of social media, I mean, you're kind of talking about the, the effect of just kind of scrolling and looking at your phone all day. It, really, I wanted to ask on, you know, the effects of with Melanin Origins, when a kid's not, I guess, seeing maybe someone, um, you know, of the same race or um, demographic um, that's not represented in a book or not represented in a school program or they're not reading stories, I guess, like of people, you know, within their demographic, does that have, I guess, any long lasting negative effects on a, you know, a child's mind or uh, just the way they live? Uh, yes, most most definitely. So there's a term called culturally responsive pedagogy, which pedagogy is pedagogy is teaching for children. Okay. Uh, pe- culturally responsive pedagogy has been vetted and proven to boost academic achievement, and that's simply because whenever children are able to to engage with materials um, that acknowledge their cultural references. Right when they're able to engage with that, then uh, that improves their their interest. That increases their interest in that area, and and it improves their academic ability. So, so yes, it, it, in in telling the truth, it's it's it, our textbooks begin with Black history um, in the times of slavery. Okay. So a child is seeing all, let's say that they do see a bunch of diversity, you know, just random fictional characters um, in their books, which actually, uh, I believe five years ago, only 25% had characters of color, and 25% of children's books had uh, featured protagonists with characters of color. So let's say that there is some diversity and all this good stuff, kindergarten, first grade, and then they reach the, let's say, second grade or so, and then the first thing that they learn when it comes to, you know, the history for black people is that that black people were slaves. Like, boom, this is the first thing that you're learning. You can look at these books that are published by major publishers, and it'll it'll have, you know, the illustrations will be great, but you'll see the front cover, somebody's in the cotton field, you know what I mean? Like, you'll see struggle on the person's faith, somebody's fight for freedom and it's like so it could be interpreted that the children are being conditioned you know with with the complex with with the inferiority complex with the complex that that they must they have to do so much more right and we believe that that's not the way how they should be introduced to their leaders that's not the way how they should be introduced to their culture um the truth you know, has to be told that, you know, we were enslaved, we were made to be slaved. Um, uh, that needs to be told at a certain age range, right, whenever they're able to fully co- comprehend that. But if we're talking about a kid who's in kindergarten, um, someone who's in pre-K, well, then first grade, we can tell them about Booker T. Washington and write a very fun, bubbly storyline, you know, uh, just like any other book, and encourage these kids that they can do anything that they want to do, and then sh- show, you know, teach them historic, more historical uh, l- lessons with study guides about Booker T. Washington. Show uh, things that he actually did through through film. Allow them to see that there in the different forms, so that they can readily identify. It, if a kid is five or six years old, a black and white picture is just so unappealing, man. It's just like, this is disgusting. Like, I'm not interested in this at all. And that's the problem, is that the information has just not been made appealing to to kids. They, they don't see themselves represented. Um, probably hear from their parents everything that we had to go, go through out here in the world, you know, like on the job and trying to make it financially and in the economy and it's easy to lose hope and so we're all about giving our best effort to provide hope 
for the kids. And any other child of any other background can look into it, and they can learn about Booker T. Washington just like they learn about George George Washington. No, I mean, that was kind of, um, I guess, kind of an interesting kind of debate that I remember kind of wondering on. I know with, um, you know, when I kind of visited the uh, Dallas Holocaust Museum, I know with I know with Jewish audiences, it seems, I don't know, I guess, the percentages or where the debate is, but, you know, I know some kind of say, you know, we would really love of kind of this, if the Holocaust Museum ended on kind of a happier note or just kind of talked about the dreams and benefits and, you know, what some, you know, huge Jewish influencers are doing within society. And, you know, they're kind of like, it seems, you know, if a kid's coming here, it seems we, we don't want to be pitied almost mm-hmm. in a way. Um, so, yeah, I kind of didn't know, but yeah, I can kind of see from, you know, your perspective on what you're trying to do with your organization on that end. I, I can't wait until we, our series, start incorporating other cultures and other backgrounds, which we believe that, which is Melon Origins, we believe that if a story about black history is going to be written, then, you know, we're going to acquire, you know, a black author, you know, you know, we're, we're, we're going to do series for Latin America, Asian America, you know, so we're going to acquire authors from those backgrounds, but I, I just can't wait. I'm just glad with the growth that we're experiencing. I can't wait until we tap into these other series and these other cultures so we can just, you know, remedy that what you just said, mm-hmm. you know, because I think about, like, if I were to just place my mind on, on that, I would think about during this time um, in Germany and in that side of the world, um, the, the you know, the... Um, the influencers that were in in the community who had great ambitions and who had great, you know, who did great things and who were great leaders, you know, talking about their stories and talking about all the great ambitions, you know, introducing what interrupted that and then, of course, leading with the person who's bearing the light of hope, you know. So I, I, I just think about, I think about this all the time, and that's, that's all that we need. We all need to feel that cultural resonance. Right. And then we need, um, you know, everybody else to just respect it, you know, you know, and when I say we, I'm talking about that's what you would prefer. That's what I would prefer. Like every people group would like that. Like I this is what I practice, what we practice, how we live our lives. But guess what? We definitely can live together. Right. Sure. No, um, you know, you're kind of talking on the successes of and kind of your dreams on, you know, possibly going into other demographics with some of these books to kind of go on different histories. Um, you really wanted to ask on, I'll, I'll see like a bunch of the books becoming Amazon bestsellers, you know, on your list. I wanted to ask on, you know, what has there been any key things that you learned on, you know, what on the successes of some of these books, you know, what was it kind of the artwork? Was it the stories? Um, you know, what kind of comes into writing, you know, a children's book? Okay. So writing a children's book, there are a few elements. If I were to speak from the traditional route and the way how they find success with theirs, which in the traditional route, that's what a person typically thinks of. They think of, they, they will write a book and then they will mail it off to a publisher who will review it and then give them a fat advance check, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then it's just off from there. Like, everything is is great. <clears throat> the self-published route is a bit differently, and we found that, well, we specialize in our marketing coaching, so we found a few niche uh, elements to help get at bestseller, um, and now, well, let, let me put it like this. The three major elements that's needed for a successful book is, okay, the manuscript itself has to be great. It has to be a great story, right? It has to be a good story, great story that resonates with an audience. Several audience, plenty of audiences out there, great story, right? And then we take the great story, we get a, a fantastic editor, Right, so we make sure that everything is fine-tuned the way how that needs to be, and then of course, the cover. Right, Th- those are the three major elements. I say cover because 
Hey, you don't judge a book by its cover, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, of course. You go to Barnes and Noble, you go to all these places. It's the first thing you do. You pick it up. You see how that's the first uh, layer of quality that you're able to receive. You flip it to the back. You read on it to see if any of that um, content resonates with you. So now you're, you're diving into the manuscript, um, and you know you're seeing the, the editing. So the visual effect is important. Uh, when it comes to making bestseller, then it's about tapping into the target audience, um, the topic of the book, and fine-tuning who that target audience is. And so, uh, and then we have some strategies such as social media, emails, um, website placement, and different things that we do. Um, but that's that's been the main. Our very first book got. Uh, bestseller, and I mine was completely blown. I, that was that was the best piece of confirmation I've had probably my whole life, <laughs> you know, to just move forward with this and the, the opportunity to make that happen seventeen, uh, you know, sixteen more times, and we published fifty books. I mean, I think that's a very great that's a very great record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I wanted to really ask on you know having these huge records with younger audiences was there ever i i guess a specific age group that you were wanting to work with because i know before um you know i was reading up before you started this series you were doing was it i guess a job or volunteer work where you were working with uh um with kids on i think it was like the justice system okay yes yes so so that was initially Whenever I had my plan for what I was going to do with my life, the plan was to work with pretty much teenagers, okay. pretty much teenagers. In Texas, a juvenile, excuse me, in Texas, a juvenile is considered age, uh, age 10 to 17. Okay. And those, those kids that are 10 and, excuse me, excuse me. Those kids that are 10 and 11 and 12, they're so small and so precious, man. I, I swear, man. When you, you see a kid walking around in a jumpsuit, it's like, what is going on? You just feel compelled to reach them, man. You just feel compelled. And then when you see them get a little bigger, you know, 14, 15, 16, and they, you know, they have some gold teeth or some dreadlocks or they're kind of stocky, you know, you know, it's... That that was my desired audience, right? Working in the juvenile justice system, um, I enjoyed giving the the life. I can't say life coaching, but the groups, um, the conversations, the the one off events. That was it. My goal then was to uh, be a facility administrator, so I would have my own facility, and then I would coordinate. Um, the policies and procedures, and of course the programs that come in to impact the kids. Um, I ended up leaving the juvenile justice field. I'm in corporate America now, um, but when the idea for Melon and Origins came to me, it, it, it still took about th- three or four years for me to realize, oh, this is it. This is me actually doing the thing that I love to do. Like I'm still in that vein, you know, working to make a difference. Um, so I, I didn't start out actually writing to to an older audience, but what I, I ended up in the process of time, I had kids, and when my kids were uh, two or three, I, I, I just thought, I was like, man, I'm learning all this stuff about what these historical leaders did. It's making me a better person. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait for my kids to get older, and then I can be Booker T. Washington, and they could be the boys, and we can debate, you know, we can debate, and then we'll switch sides, and we'll debate again. And I, I said, why can't I teach them about that now? Like, why can't children just have that uh, that level of intellect be prodded into that level of, of intellect now, especially when you just think about, you know, the stereotypes or stigmatism of the black community, you know? as far as education and things like that. Why can't that be a concerted effort, a great focus to, to talk about these things and dialogue about these things now? Mm-hmm. And the community is definitely moving in that, that way, like before Melanin Origins, you know, but now even more so, mm-hmm. for sure. No, you, um, you know, you mentioned with, uh, you know, with your children on, um, you know, being excited to, be able to kind of bring up some of these historical figures and teach them some of these things. 
Um, you know, I wanted to go back, like, uh, really on some of the, I remember seeing a blog post on where you talked about kind of growing up in a a, a strict household. And I wanted to ask if, if there was any maybe lessons from your childhood that, you know, you can't either wait to instill into your children or, you know, that you think has given you insight on, you know, things that you definitely want to for for your kids to have or for you to instill them. Let's see, any lessons? My mind was stuck on the strict household. When you said that, I was like, <laughs> yeah, it was very strict. It was very strict. You know, <clears throat> the main thing about my upbringing is that I did not. My father did not live in the house, but my stepdad did, and he was very strict. <laughs> he was very strict, uh, you know. And whenever I threw the hint about, you know, an African household, that be, you know, there's, Af- you know, they're they're gonna believe in corporal punishment. Like they're definitely gonna believe in that. <laughs> I mean, it was yeah, it's a lot of that. Okay, and so, um, mainly what I I grew up seeing things I just did not want to you know, replicate, that I did not want to do again. Like, I did, I did you know, be, patterns of behavior in my stepdad, uh, behaviors in my, my own dad, you know. And a lo- it wasn't until I was actually 30, around 30 years old, that I realized as an adult that, man, I'm lacking in this area and that area. It would have been good to have, a, you know, my dad there to, because that's what everyone else is, you know, that's how they're helping them to, to grow up. And so, and so, Melanin, so my mind has always been about that, spending a lot of time with my kids. Um, what's the best program I can put them into? What are the conversations? What kind of books can I make sure that they are, they are reading? Um, and so that really prompted the idea of just having a melanin origins, something for parents. We believe our our core values are providing cultural confidence, providing, uh, uh, promoting strong families, and of course, educational empowerment. And so those three things we believe, you know, should be practiced in school and of course at home and at, at home first. And so promoting strong families, what's that? We have a book that's so interesting about something that, you know, the parent most likely probably hasn't heard about that if they read it to the child, they can learn as well and then they can have dialogue about it, right? Educational empowerment, right? And then, you know, cultural confidence. So all of that, like I've, I've learned that you know, another story is growing up in an African household in America, okay? You know, and not just America, I mean, among black Americans, you know, so just growing up African among black Americans, that's just, it's two separate things, and it's it's just a lot of difference, you know. Like when Black Panther came out, everybody was wearing a dashiki and saying Wakanda forever. But when I was in elementary school, you know, it, it was a bunch of derogatory comments, you know, even from the black kids. You know, so all of that, it's all about togetherness and it's all about just the family, cultural confidence, right? Cultural confidence in the household, educational empowerment in the household, in schools, all of that. So those are really the values that, you know, I, when I reflect on my, my childhood, I think, okay, yeah, it, it, it led to this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. When you kind of mention Black Panther, it, I guess, does that help out with your optimism on, you know, your optimistic view on, you know, I guess future generations being, uh, you know, more wanting to learn more about their cultures? Yes, most definitely. Black Panther's, Black Panther, the movie Black Panther, I mean, did the black community like a, a solid, like the greatest solid ever, dude, like the greatest ever. I mean, when you talk about just giving people pride, it, when you think about like if you of course you watched it, right? So just the the drama between Killmonger and T'Challa, that's a real thing. That's mm-hmm. the African and the black American thing that I was just talking about. That's a real thing. Just different schools of thought and finding balance within that, you know, putting that on the screen, you know, uh, talking about certain conversations that the African resonates with, that the black Americans resonate with, that would help um, 
bring allyship to other people in the world, right? Like that movie did us a great solid. And so I think if we continue going in that direction, yeah, of course. You know, I, I don't think it. You know, we we I think we said a little bit about Judas and the Black Messiah before. Like that, you know, that's that's cool. That's gonna bring you know information that might be polarizing too. You know, but Black Panther is one that's that's not as polarizing. It's not, yeah, it's it, it, it's not polarizing at all to me. But it's great. Um, before that, what was the constant mode? It was a slavery movie. And then another slavery movie. And then another, we're going to continue to remind you, right? And then, and it's not even about that negative point that I just said, right? We're going to continue to mind you. It's about here I am having a stressful week at work. <laughs> I want to relax on the weekend. And the best thing that I got to do on a Saturday night on a date is to watch this and to get in that kind of mood, get into that kind of a feeling. And we're going to make these movies every single year, too. Uh, you know, there's so much more. There's mm -hmm. so much more. And talking about the so much more and getting there, I actually think, you know, people who, you know, there's people who, you know, would be called racist who want us to stop talking about this and stop talking about that. I think that when we get into talking about everything else and agreeing that, hey, we all share this everything else and you did great things too and we could, I think when we get there, then that's whenever we start getting the togetherness. And so... So Black Panther definitely puts us in a, in a better place, in a de better direction. Mm -hmm. Now, I remember kind of just thinking, like, I, I don't know which place I'll put Black Panther in the, the Marvel movies, but I always thought it was kind of a top because I, it, I always thought Killmonger was one of my top favorite villains because I'm <laughs> like, that's probably the first villain where I'm like, okay, I can actually understand his thoughts on that. <laughs> like, that, that totally makes sense why... He would want to, uh, you know, use the weapons to just stop tyranny all over the world, basically. Yep, mm -hmm. yep. And Killmonger, okay, so hypothetically, Killmonger is the hypothetical black person that, like, the world is afraid of. I'm going to get all the power back so I can do this damage, and in doing the damage, I'm going to restore balance. Now, uh, how many, you know, conquerors thought had that kind of thought process, right? Um, so, so Killmonger, he's, he's that kind of person. But even so, he has a story, mm -hmm. right? He has a story. And I, I just like the fact that they were able to put the story out there, you know, um, that point of view out there, opening up people's eyes, minds, and really getting to the point that, I mean... I, and juvenile, it was always interesting because, you know, kids are going through some crazy things. You know, they're facing, you know, some years and, you know, emotions are all over the place. Sometimes you can sit down and talk with a person. Sometimes, you know, it's like, oh, man, I'm going to stay out of his way because he's a tornado. You know, so I don't know what it would be like to sit down and talk with a killmonger and try to talk him out of going down that path, you know. Um, but we had to do our best in our society, right? And I'm glad that art is here to, to put out this information and put these sentiments out there so we can just come together and just get, get over it. We're here to make this world a better place and we can do that together, you know? Mm -hmm. Emily, well, I think to kind of wrap this up, I, I just kind of want to ask on, you know, if there's any really future programs or goals, I don't know, you know, what all you can speak on right now, but if there's any, you know, anything cool in the works that you, you want to give a shout out to or anything that you're excited about? Yes, most definitely, most definitely. Right now, we are very excited, very excited. And when I say we, I mean the team at Melanin Origins. Uh, shout out to my business partner, Frank Manicon, uh, COO. We're very excited about our upcoming series. And I'll, I'll give a, an insight into it. So we have two series rolling out. And our, our first series is about black history, of course. And it, it highlights... Uh, leaders and pioneers after the Emancipation Proclamation. So we tap into people that we've been discussing here, Booker T. Washington, Du Bois, Madam C.J. Walker, who was the first self-made millionaire, who's a woman uh, in America. Uh, our second series, which we're coming out with in fall, in, in, in the fall, this is called the All in All series. Okay, it's called the All in All series. And what we did is we, we, we decided to... Um, take some characters from the Old Testament, and then we pretty much just told their story to a, a five-year-old, you know, told their story. We, we, we chose, 
you know, not some of the major ones. So we don't have a story about Moses, not about David, but we do have one about Abraham, Joseph, Esther, Deborah. Um, so we, we chose some, some people to write about and just talk about how their life, <clears throat> excuse me, talk about how their life aligns with the great virtues, you know, that, that, you know, that the Bible speaks about. And so that we have that. And then we also have our third series, which is called the Ma'at series. Okay. And that series is about ancient Egypt. Um, you know, the, when Egypt was, was at its greatest heights, um, the code of conduct that they lived by was called the 42 um, principles, ideals of ma'at. Ma'at being the concept of truth, justice, balance, and all of that. Um, we are, that is a concept that we're, uh, that we're, we're, we're focusing on. From those 42 ideals are extracted seven principles, seven principles, truth, justice, balance, order, reciprocity, propriety, harmony. Um, I don't know if I missed one. <laughs> um, but those things. So question, you know, what is truth? What does truth mean? I think we can find a lot of children's books about being truthful, right? Um, and so what actually does truth mean? And so providing that for a kid to understand in a bright and bubbly in a book, um, what does... What does harmony mean? What does it mean to be harmonious? And so providing that in, 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 in storylines. So as it pertains to um, you know, what Melon Origin stands for, this is definitely our foundation. This is our foundation because here you have you know, leadership and social justice in series one, okay? And in a series two, we have it to where you can, you know, we definitely promote you connecting with your creator, right? So, so we have this faith-based element in series two. And then in series three, it's more so about, okay, now this is a code of conduct for governance, right? So truth and justice, order, like what do these things mean? And so imagine for, you know, five-year-old, six-year-old kid, you know, at this kind of level, learning this kind of information. And, uh, uh, we're, we're, we're glad and honored to have the privilege to put this out. So that's what's in the works, melaninorigins.com. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. Well, I wanted to thank you again, Louie, for coming on. Those shout-outs, um, definitely looking forward to that. going to put any type of links into the description of the podcast. And really wanted to thank you again, Louie, for having this conversation about, you know, really marginalized groups a lot of these social media trends, what's going on with Melanin Origins, you know, what you see with the empowerment of historical figures on being able to be taught within organizations and within school districts. And, you know, I'm really excited for what you're doing, and I really hope it, you know, continues forward and you guys are able to cover, you know, even more historical characters. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you having me on this podcast, sharing some stories about your own self, and and it's, I, I look forward to growing with you. Thank you. Yeah. Definitely, ma'am. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Platinum Mask Podcast. Stay connected with us directly through the theplatinummask.com. You can also join the discussion on Instagram at graymask12. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through maskgrayson at gmail.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Don't forget to like and subscribe to stay fully up to date. Until next time, raise a glass to success, no matter how you define it.